Oramai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. The grief of bereavement, the strength of faith, the inspiration of holiness, and the power of good communication. It's quite a list, isn't it? But they're all here in their own way in today's programme. Earlier this week, we were saddened to learn of the death of popular television and radio personality Bill Turnbull at the age of just 66, his life and career cut short by prostate cancer, something he talked very openly about, stressing the importance of early diagnosis and treatment. Bill was, for a time, one of the presenters on BBC Television's Songs of Praise, and it was in this capacity that he came to the island in 2014, our Island of Culture Year, to record an edition of the programme. Bill said that meeting John and Margaret Kenyuk and visiting the farm, Balalise, was a high point of his time here. He was clearly deeply moved by listening to John talking about his love of our national poet T.E. Brown and his love of the land. This is a mix of John's words and music recorded in the cathedral in Peel that formed a part of that Songs of Praise programme. And we follow it with part of the conversation that I recorded with Bill at the end of the filming. Up your jumps and out in the sun and you fancy the day will never be done. John Kenyuk is a popular radio broadcaster on the Isle of Man with a particular passion for the work of its national poet T.E. Brown. Looking for eggs. In fact, John lives in the house where Brown spent his childhood holidays in the early 1800s. So here we are then, a picture of T. Brown himself in the hallway that he trod as a child. It is. That photograph once hung in every school in the Isle of Man. And when I look now, I can see the stairs that that boy would have climbed when he was oh, 8, 9 or 10. Um, and the feeling that it gives me is indescribable. He managed to capture what so many people have such great difficulty in describing. There is this spirituality about the island, this, this thing that we can't describe that Brown captured and set down in his poetry, and I think that's why I love it. The, the island has a soul of its own, perhaps? The island has definitely has a soul. And in what we're now into, our year of culture, that will mean different things to different people. But to me, we are displaying now to anybody who will look at us or watch us or hear us, we are displaying our soul, how we live, what's important to us, what we value. We're seven generations here in this particular area. We've become part of the landscape. I could have chosen any career um, at school, but the call of the land was so strong, and it still is. It, it lends to a rounded life, a life with purpose and direction, in partnership with, with the God who created it all. So you'd choose the same path again? Uh, uh, with, without a shadow of doubt, I could tell you of one particular day in the harvest, which I look back now, and I realize it was a defining moment in my life. The day we were cutting corn in the mill field at Slewellian with a tractor and a binder, waiting for the dew to lift and looking at the scene around us. And this field of golden corn in front of us, 
a stand of beech above that leading up to the farmyard, the green fields of the farm where the stock were all grazing, and then the stone mountain wall along the mountain of Slewellian, and above that, the purple heather, and the bluest September sky that you could imagine. And I knew that day, this is where I will spend my life. And I thank God that I've been able to do that. get to travel around the country to really interesting places, really beautiful places, meet some terrific people who've got very good stories to tell. And a lot of people think, oh, songs of praise, it's just hymns and religious stuff. Well, it is, but at the same time, it has really, really good content in it as well. And that's what I've enjoyed so much doing. A lot of people I know, I know watch it say, say, oh, I watch it for the singing. I suspect a lot of people also watch it because they don't really want to go to church, but they want to keep in touch. I would venture that many more people are religious than than would confess to it. Deep in their hearts, there's something there. 
that they want to believe in. They just don't necessarily want to practice, either because they're apathetic, they're a little bit lazy about it, they're a bit shy, they have a thing about church. And so songs of praise will draw in some of those people, possibly, who wouldn't otherwise go to a service of worship, but want to touch it somehow. It does mean a lot to people, I know, I know that, and it's so lovely to be part of a program that does give so much to people and is so well received. It is a fundamental requirement that you have to have faith of some sort to do it. I was in an awful lot of church when I was at school, got drummed into it, and that kind of put me off. I didn't go to church, then years went by. When we had children then, then we did start going to church because we felt more of a responsibility somehow and that drew us into the church. So in one sense, actually, it's, it's been a, an opportunity for me to, to wear my badge, if you like. This was an opportunity for me to say, well, no, this is what I believe, this is what I do, and I'm quite happy with that. I'm Church of England, and uh, at the moment uh, we go to a, a church when we can in uh, Rainer near Macclesfield. Previous to that, we went to a church down in Buckinghamshire, which is a very vibrant community, and in fact, occasionally, I even got to take Evensong because they were short of staff. They were going to drop the service, and. And we said, well, don't do that. Let's just see if we can do it. It was a really interesting experience. I wasn't allowed to pardon people's sins, which is fair enough, and uh, couldn't do a sermon. But otherwise, we did the service as the vicar would have. And to do it from the other side is fascinating because actually what you're doing is really guiding people through a service. And they depend on you hugely to get it right. But it's a big responsibility and one I used to take very seriously, but we got a lot out of it at the same time. Bill Turnbull, thank you for coming to the island and for bringing songs of praise to us. It's always lovely to be here, Judith. I had the most marvellous Manx kippers this morning. They were the most delicious kippers I've ever had, actually. They were wonderful. Well, that's a lovely memory to take back. <laughs> it is. <laughs> remembering the late Bill Turnbull when he recorded an edition of BBC Television's Songs of Praise here on the island in 2014, alongside one of the guests on that programme, the late John Kenyuk, who had the gift of saying so much while using very few words. May they both rest in peace. Next weekend, we welcome another visitor to the island. Richard Littledale is pastor of Newbury Baptist Church in Berkshire and broadcasts regularly on BBC Radio 4 and on Radio 2. He's also a prolific author with a particular interest in effective communication and he's written a number of excellent books both for adults and for children. He's coming here at the invitation of the Ireland Spirituality Network to lead what he describes as an interactive and reflective morning on the topic I don't believe in prayer. And then he added a few more words, at least not prayer as it's commonly understood. Richard will be speaking at St John's Mill next Saturday the 10th from 10am until 1pm and the morning is open to everyone. No need to book, just come along and you'll be made very welcome. There is no doubt that Richard is a gifted speaker, honest and open about even the most difficult subjects. 
Listen to him now in conversation with Elliot Frisby, talking about his book, Postcards from the Land of Grief, a book he wrote following the death in late 2017 of his beloved wife, Fiona, after her seven-year battle with cancer. I didn't originally set out to write a book. I started off by blogging my experiences. A blog for many years has been a place for me to work out what I'm thinking, to begin conversations, to ask questions. And so when I found myself in what I would describe as the foreign country of grief, a foreign land where I didn't feel I fitted in, the most natural thing in the world to me was to articulate that experience. And I thought to myself, well, what do you write when you're away from home? You write a postcard. And so I started writing these reflections on my experiences, which I called postcards. And to my astonishment, they really found an audience. We Brits are awful at talking about our feelings. And we are especially awful at talking about grief and bereavement. You know, three out of five people in this country will not talk to someone who's recently been bereaved because they're Mm. so frightened of saying the wrong thing. I think we feel a little bit obliged as Christians to have everything very tidy. People ask me before, you know, you're a minister. Shouldn't you have coped better with all of this? Shouldn't you be immune to all of this? And, you know, I wasn't. Grief knocked me for six. Grief has changed me. My grief hurts every day. And we're now nearly four years since I lost Fiona. My hope as a Christian is brighter than it's ever been. My faith is stronger than it's ever been. But that does not mean that I don't grieve. You know, we knew this was coming. We talked a lot about her dying. We talked a lot about the funeral. We talked a lot about all kinds of stuff. And uh, we were driving home from Cornwall. That's quite a long way. So I was stuck in the car. And she said, so how are you going to describe me at my funeral then? What (laughs) one word are you going to use? And I thought, it didn't take very long, actually. It took less than a minute. And I said, steadfast. Big smile across her face. She said, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. And she was, you know, she was a fiercely loyal mother, utterly supportive wife, and a steadfast Christian. And it hurts every day without her. But every day, I thank God for the days I had with her. We had had a conversation, probably about a month before she died, about how I was going to be afterwards. And uh, she said, oh, you know, what are you going to write about next? I said, well, I'm not sure I can write with a broken heart. And she gestured to all the medical paraphernalia around about her. She said, well, you could write about this. So I did write about this. And here we are. How have you managed to get on with your life whilst carrying the grief? Because as somebody who people depend on so much, Richard, how are you able to embrace that grief to use it moving forward? Let me tell you a little story. There's uh, a guy called Ian Jackson, American author, who writes about grief. And he talks about the ranch on which he grew up. And around the edge of the ranch was uh, barbed wire, as you would expect. And he said in one place there was a sapling that was chafing against the barbed wire and it just wouldn't grow. But a bit further on, there was a big old oak tree that had grown around the barbed wire and incorporated it. And that's me, I think. You know, so all of this that's in the book, the grief, the pain, the, the new light on some of my beliefs, that has become part of me now. So I, I never, ever want to move on from it, but I do grow with it. I had three months bereavement leave 
And then when I got back into the pulpit, about two months into that, somebody came up to me at the door afterwards, you know, a lot of people do with preachers. <laughs> and they said, we're so glad you talk about Fiona in the pulpit because it makes it real. Mm. So glad you talk about what you're feeling. Now, it would be wrong to abuse that. You know, for goodness sake, if my poor church had to listen to me talking about how I feel on every sermon, I would be failing them. But I think I would also be failing them if it never came up. Mm. And so, you know, how, do, how have I moved on? I've moved on by incorporating this, like the barbed wire in the oak tree, and becoming a different shape as a result. You can't move beyond this. You can only move on with it. In the same way, you know, when, when God's people were traveling across the desert, they, they carried the tabernacle with them. They carried God's presence with them. He didn't say, off you pop, I'll meet you the other side. And he said, I'll go with you. And so I would say, take, take this grief with you. You know, some days it will be so heavy, you'll have to put it down and stop. Other days, it will actually give you energy. Uh, it will actually be something you want to carry with you. I'd like to leave you with one last question, if yeah. I may. I know a fraction of the wonderful work that you've done and doing, and you've done so much through the years and so much ahead. What would you say, if you had a 13-year-old you in front of you, what would you say to that person? I'd say, don't be afraid. I'd say, because when the worst thing happens, you'll not be alone. Richard Littledale was talking there about his book, Postcards from the Land of Grief. Now that's not what he'll be talking about when he comes to St John's next Saturday morning. Prayer is his theme then, but I think that conversation gives an idea of what an open and honest speaker he is, and I'm sure he's going to give us a thought-provoking and helpful morning. If you'd like to join in, come to St John's Mill next Saturday at 10am. The morning finishes promptly at 1pm and Richard will be preaching in Broadway Baptist Church here in Douglas next Sunday morning at half past ten. There's a warm welcome for everyone to that and all services at Broadway. 
Exceptional holiness is at the heart of our next topic, and it takes us to the Vatican and to the Pope, leader of the worldwide Roman Catholic Church. And happily, we've an expert on hand to help us here, in the person of Canon Philip Gillespie, who's currently on holiday in Ramsey, taking care of the Roman Catholic Church there and in Peel. But for the majority of the year, he's in Rome, where he's rector of the Beda College, where men from around the world who've had some experience of life working in other areas are now being trained to be priests. We're very happy that Canon Philip, who was for a time the senior Roman Catholic priest on the island based in St Mary's in Douglas, now regards the island as his home and it's always a pleasure to welcome him to the programme. Good morning, Judith. Good morning, everybody. And as they say in Italy, buona domenica, which means happy Sunday. And I think it will be a particularly happy Sunday in Rome as, during a mass in St Peter's Square later this morning, Pope Francis will celebrate the beatification of of the servant of God, Pope John Paul I, known as the smiling Pope as he always looked so happy, but who was only Pope for 34 days before his death following a heart attack. In the Roman Catholic Church, beatification is the last stage of a very long process that leads to a person being declared a saint, someone of great holiness with an exceptional closeness to God. Pope John Paul I was elected and died in 1978, the year known, as Canon Philip now explains, as the year of the three popes. Pope Paul VI sadly passed away. John Paul I was elected and, as you say, was a a very short-lived papacy, just 34 days. Albino Luciani was born in 1912 and eventually was Archbishop of Venice. And when he was elected... He, as you say, was known as the smiling Pope because the first thing that that struck people was that there was a genuine gladness about how he lived and about how he approached people and how he taught as well. Ironically, the talk that he gave just before he passed away was the beginning of a series on the virtues and the virtue that he first spoke of was the virtue of humility. And I think many people have looked back on that and said he spoke about that first of all because he saw that as the key to his living. Yes, he was called to a very significant ministry in the life of the church and also for the life of the world. But humility was at the heart of who he was. And perhaps you could say that his message to us today is that humility and that deep-seated joyfulness go hand in hand in the preaching of the gospel. Often when a, a pope takes a particular name for his papacy, like John Paul I, a combination really of John XXIII, who was the pope who called the Second Vatican Council, and Pope Paul VI, who very much implemented or began the implementation of many of the the documents and certainly the vision of the council. So the very fact that Albino Luciani, when he was elected, took the names of Pope John and Pope Paul together, I think did make a statement that he saw that in his own spiritual life, the council had been such an important occasion because it had laid great stress, not on anything new. It's not that the 
the gospel had never laid stress on the joy and the simplicity and the service that's been there from the very beginning. But it had highlighted the fact that the mission of the church is to preach good news and to bring the tenderness of God into a world which in the 1960s for the council, but also in the 1970s for the election of John Paul I, could at times be rather cold and rather hard. But he saw that, that the church's role was to bring something of the smile of God to the ministry and service that he was called to exercise as successor of Peter, Bishop of Rome and Pope of the Church. The Church doesn't declare saints easily or quickly. Do you think that, that it speaks of the whole of his life, not just those 30-odd days when he was the Pope? Oh, absolutely, because that's the culmination of a whole lifetime of kindness and goodness. And if he's known as Il Papa Sorridente, the smiling Pope, even though at times, I'm sure, life was very difficult for him, he knew that to have that genuine gladness of the gospel at the heart is something which, which overflows, spills out into who you are and how you go about things. To marry those in how we go about things is really to be very close to John Paul I's spirituality and it's a good way of honouring the gospel ministry and mission that's given to each one of us. The reason the service was held last evening at St John Lateran is that as well as being Pope, of course, someone is elected as Bishop of the City of Rome and John Lateran is the cathedral church. So it's right that in his cathedral church, the Diocese of Rome gathered to remember someone who for a very short period was their bishop. And I think we always need to remember that, that when a Pope dies, it's the diocese also mourns the loss of its bishop. In watching the vigil last night, you were quite taken by surprise that it included a voice that you were not expecting to hear. Well, what they had was the scripture readings that actually were proclaimed when he took possession, as they say, of his cathedral church back in 1978. And I was expecting afterwards that the bishop who was presiding at the service last night would say something. And then I heard a voice and I thought, no, that's not the auxiliary bishop who I, I could recognise uh, as leading the service. It was actually John Paul I's own voice, which had been recorded and which was being played back. In times past, we might read out loud what somebody had said, but it was amazing to be actually able to hear his voice and his words. And his words were very interesting. The scripture was uh, Isaiah when it speaks about the glory of the Lord shining on the city of Jerusalem. And John Paul I made the point that it would be marvellous if, in response to that reading, we could actually say the glory of the Lord is shining for him, he said, on the city of Rome. But we could say that that's true for wherever we live. The glory of the Lord shines out in that place.
Thank you, Canon Philip Gillespie, reflecting for us on the short life but powerful legacy of holiness and humility left for us by Pope John Paul I, who takes a step closer to sainthood as he is beatified by the present Pope, Francis, during a mass in St. Peter's Square in Rome later this morning. Well, it really has been a packed programme this morning, hasn't it? So before we completely run out of time, let's take a look at our notice board. The Mariners Choir begin their new season of services tonight in Kirkmichael. The service in the parish church starts as usual at half past six. The preacher will be Reverend Jeanette Hamer and the service will be followed by supper and community hymn singing with, as always, a warm welcome for everyone. Looking to the week ahead and the Wednesday evening concert in St Thomas's Church here in Douglas, just off the promenade by the Gaiety Theatre, will be given this week by Glen Faber Chorale, starting at a quarter to eight with free admission and refreshments afterwards. Also in St Thomas's every Friday morning, there's coffee and chat from half past ten with a warm welcome for everyone. There's another concert this Thursday evening in St Catherine's Church in Port Erin. This week, the Lonvane Ladies' Choir will entertain you. Starting as usual at a quarter to eight, it's free admission and there'll be refreshments in the hall afterwards. Dr Doug Fox and his wife Carol have been summer residents of Peel for well over 20 years and are much-loved figures in Ireland life. Doug is a retired environmental scientist with over 60 years' experience that's included leading workshops and conferences for NATO, the United Nations and the World Bank. On Thursday evening, he's going to reflect on his years of doing science and how these experiences and his faith have informed the person he's become. Called Science and Faith, A Few Personal Encounters, it promises to be a fascinating evening and it's open to everyone. Just come along to St John's Parish Church Hall on Thursday evening at 7 o'clock. Next Saturday, Santon Church welcome you to their celebration for the Queen's Jubilee. From noon to 4pm, there'll be organ recitals, a live band playing and at half past two, a special tree planting ceremony to permanently enhance the area around the church. And for the children, there'll be a bouncy castle, face painting and games, as well as refreshments for everyone in the marquee. And weather permitting, there'll be sheepdog demonstrations and a visit from some of the tram horses. That's all around Santon Church next Saturday from noon until four. And finally, next Sunday, there's an afternoon of guided walks and supper at Dolby, starting at Dolby Schoolrooms at two o'clock and finishing back at Dolby Schoolrooms with a supper at half past four. This is next Sunday, the 11th of September. It's a chance to explore some beautiful countryside and hear stories from local tradition. The walk takes in the Dolby community woodland at the bottom of the Lag Road and then offers two options, one strenuous walking up the Kerodu Plantation round to Erie Cushlin and back, the other less strenuous takes in the White Beach and coastal footpath to Neobil. Sturdy footwear is recommended for both. All walks end with supper in Dolby schoolrooms at half past four and supper without doing any walking is also an option. To book at £12.50 per person for a two-course supper, please contact Jilly on 844-031, stating if you have any food allergies or special dietary needs. 844-031. 
And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back in the studio tonight from nine with sundown. Easy listening music to round off the weekend. And I'd love you to join me if you can. And do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. Judith Lay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. Music